All right, we've got your mic set up. Mic is set. Okay. All right, I'm excited. Got our planners that we stickered up while at He Who Should Not Be Named. All right, we have to come up. We have to make a code name um, section so we can keep track of all of the names that we changed. Yes. Okay. I can't believe it's April. I hate everything. Oh, stop it. Ashley just opened her planner, and there's literally a invoice in it. <laughs> An invoice for $1,061 for 200 name tags. For 200 name tags for our community that we, um, we jumped ship on. Uh, it's dated December 1st, 2021. Our last day was December 30th, 2021, so that's pretty... Special. Did you turn that in? I have no idea. Do you think they got paid? Probably not. I don't think they would have gotten paid if you did turn it in. I even like have my calendar listed out for activities that were supposed to happen throughout the year. Is this the right planner? That's twenty twenty one. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that actually makes me feel so much better. Okay, go get your planner. <laughs> <laughs> And here we are. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Okay. Okay. So we need to come up with a thesis. Yes. Like, why are we here? I had these thoughts literally as I was going to bed last night as to exactly what we were going to say. And Mm -hmm. I didn't write them down. Go figure. Borrow this pen. I think I started writing some stuff out. Um, But it's kind of like a twofold Mm -hmm. mission, right? Like, we're here to talk about senior living and um, an industry that is set up for failure. Um, It's set up based on greed and not based on need. Hey, there's some rhyming there. But (laughs) so it's, it's not set up in a way that is... Uh, best for the resident or best for the employees. Um, it's a setup that's based on greed, uh, corporate greed, and also the ability to hide from sanctions and certain regulations that hospitals and uh, nursing homes have, but ba- regular, especially luxury senior living, does not comply to. So that's one of the things that we're here to talk about. And then the other half of that problem is also just our personal experience. Please excuse my dog in the background. He <laughs> ate soap. Um, I forgot that's why he's doing that. <laughs> including the container. So he's fine, but we will hear him dry heave in the background <laughs> if we happen to publish this sound. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um... But yeah, so we're going to talk about something. Oh my God. Sir. Bucky. What did you think would happen? I hope you learned your lesson, although I highly doubt you did. (laughs) 
it's clearly evident of who's the the victim in this. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk about some of the things that Cece and I endured in our experience at the cupola. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, yeah, it makes us feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, um, as well as just some things that in senior living that people don't always talk about. Like again, a lot of podcasts talk about positivity and thinking about you know growing your career. We're not those bitches. We are not. That is another podcast for another time. And one that we will not be participating in. No. Um, the other uh, overcoming theme in Senior Living Podcast is they tend to talk to the leadership roles. They will talk to the executive directors, the associate executive directors, the regional managers, the sales reps. Like, they will talk to everybody who's getting paid um, a decent salary, um, but they're not going to talk to the CNAs. They're not going to talk to the servers. They're not going to talk to the concierges. And that's who we're going to talk to um, because that's who we worked with directly. And that's, those are the experiences that are going to live with us forever is seeing the pain that not only we went through, but the community went through. Um, We're going to go through our story and how it started and where it ended, but we're also going to talk about just the industry in general and why we think it's broken, how we think it can improve, how to navigate it if you are really thinking that it's time to go to senior living for your parent, like how to navigate the system um, in a way that's going to be most successful for you and your family and how to avoid red flags. I think, and I think that could be a full episode of just red flags. Yeah. Red flags that we didn't take seriously enough. Yeah. At this point in our recording, we had to stop because Ash got a call from a hair salon that was confirming her appointment for her son's very first haircut that was going to be happening in the next couple of days. Uh, The lady on the other end of the line was very attentive and very kind, and she was so kind, in fact, that she actually made Ashley cry a little bit. Um, And that's where we pick back up in our next segment called I Hate When People Are Nice to Me. It is hard for me to accept when people are nice to me in an industry, in any industry. Yeah. That's pathetic. Right. And it's because of work. Uh, It's because of this stupid place that has traumatized me so much. Oh, I hate, I hate that. Because I wasn't, I was never like that before. Right. Mm, That makes me so angry. Yeah, I'm much more comfortable when people uh, in the service industry are rude to me or at work are rude to me because then I can feel um, justified. Has anybody ever been rude to you? No. I didn't think so. At my new job, no. (laughs) Um, In the industry, no, no. People are very nice. Um, But yeah, it's really hard when people say, or if I make a mistake, and, um, and I think this is like a lingering trauma also. Um, if I make a mistake 
and someone forgives me for it and is understanding and they're like, oh, that's not a big deal. And they don't want to like crucify me over the mistake, then I don't know how to react to that. And it makes me very uncomfortable. Mm. Like I'd really rather you be angry at me. But yeah, to, to your point, in the senior livings, in the like high-end luxury, big money senior living communities that I've worked in, all of them have been problematic and traumatic to work in and live in. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's an awful thing to say. Yeah. It's true, though. It is. It's true. And I think it's... I think there's a couple reasons. Um, for sure, there's not enough regulations. We were talking earlier today about how even something as simple as kitchens and dining room service are more regu- regulated in like the restaurant industry than they are in senior living. Mm-hmm. So um, things like policies, cleaning policies, and uh, policies for staff training, something like CPR training, did you know in senior living communities, at least in Florida, you only need one person certified in CPR on campus every day. So not all the staff are trained in CPR. Only one person in the building has to be trained. And that's not for nursing homes and it's not for rehab centers, but for assisted living communities and memory care communities and independent living communities, there is not a regulation for that in writing. And so everybody tries to skimp as much as they can. It's gross. It's really gross. And I think also because of how much, I was thinking about this the other day, there's just so much money in it for investors Like, you think about the boomer generation. Baby boomers are aging now. Yep. They're going to be every single... There's been a recent, like, boom in just luxury senior living communities in general. There's been a lot more investors. There's been a ton of buildings popping up everywhere. Um, And it's because the baby boomers are aging. And in 20 years, all of these buildings are going to be full. And they're going to be a waste. There's going to be a waiting list. Mm -hmm. So... Investors are jumping on the train because they know that there's going to be demand for this product. Um, And because of how fast it's happening um, and because of all of the loopholes they're finding, because they can say, oh, well, we're not a medical facility. We are a care community or care adjacent community. Um, It's basically a luxury apartment complex with some nursing assistants to pass out meds. So I don't know what my point was, but <laughs> I just feel like there's just so much opportunity to make money. And so everybody jumps on it. And um, in the meantime, because there's not enough regulations, because things haven't been set up appropriately, um, it turns into hospitality gone wrong. You know, they want it to look like a Disney experience when you walk in and everybody's just so happy to see you and so glad to be there and everything, but they don't put in the training or the money to create that atmosphere for the residents and instead just focus on census and create a a situation that's just unwinnable. 
You know, and I've only worked at two senior living communities in my career in senior living, but at both of those communities, I received absolutely no training. I just had to figure it out and set the standard for the job. Right. Did you ever get any training? No. Okay, well, explain what you did in senior living. So I have worked in the marketing department in senior living um, for eight years. I currently do not work in senior living. Um, But I started, my career started as an internship um, from a family friend who offered me a position um, because I was going to school for the event industry and he had his marketing coordinator um, go on maternity leave. So it was only a temp job. Um, And he brought me on board to his community to fill in for marketing events and um, just essentially being like the desk jockey for the team, which I absolutely hated. (laughs) Um, But it ended up growing into something more. Obviously, I stayed there long term. Um, The girl that I was filling in for decided to stay home with her newborn child um so I took the position permanently um and I worked there for three years but again like when she she was on maternity leave and that's why my boss at the time like he needed help because he didn't know he he knew what she did but didn't know how she did it and that's really sad Like, I just feel if you're going to be a manager of a department and you're overseeing different jobs, you need to know how to do those jobs yourself so that you can accurately teach your employees how to do them. And it's just like mind boggling to me to think that like anybody in a manager's position wouldn't know how to do one of their employees jobs. Right, and you see that across the board mm-hmm. in senior living. Like and maybe other leaving, places aren't like are are the same way, but I just it's crazy. That is really crazy to think about because that's totally how I jumped into activities and life enrichment too. There was no yeah. training. I was like, I want to do this, and I think it looks fun, and I think my enthusiasm for the job kind of. Um, blinded anybody to my lack of um, training in in that field, I guess. I I mean, I didn't, I want to say I was really good at my job. I didn't need the training, but I could have used some training. Yeah, I think, and I asked for training. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. I asked at both communities, like, hey, can I just like oversee somebody, even if it's only for like a day? I want to see like what somebody else is doing. So I can either replicate that or do it better. So I at least have an idea on what needs to be done. And I was never even allowed that, which is sad. Do you know who does get the training? Who? People who are shit. Yeah. People who are really bad at their jobs. Instead of terminating somebody who is um, completely unfit for the job or incompetent. Yeah they will give them more training and they Mm -hmm. will pay for them to go to another community to shadow somebody or pay for somebody from another community to come in and train them. Mm -hmm. Not even from another community. We Mm -hmm. had a situation where 
they paid somebody's husband to come train her on the job. Yep. Mm-hmm. We didn't know they were married at the time. No, of course that wasn't relevant in this situation. You're right. Why would it be? No. But um, he came and he monitored the dining room for a couple days and uh, that was training. But yeah, I think a lot of it, a lot of the book on like how to do this and what it should look like is unwritten, Mm -hmm. which in some ways I think was really exciting for me in the aspect of like, oh, I'm excited to be different than other activities directors. I want to create a program that is engaging and captivating and exciting and fun. And I want to create something that's going to be inclusive of the families. And so I think that senior living um, kind of relies on its younger employees to fill in those gaps. Mm -hmm. And that could be great. And it could lead to something really awesome if they listened uh, to anything we had to say, to any of our input whatsoever. Um, But when you have people in charge who care only about the census and deposits and what looks good on paper, um, they're not going to give you, they're not going to give you anything. They're not going to give you any credit. They're not going to give you any, uh, promotions, any kind of acknowledgement that what you do is valuable. And so here we are, um, four years for Ash, three for me. Wasted. 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 I, 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 I don't know about you. I mean, I feel like I've just been stripped down back to the beginning of, um, my career path. Um, you know, it was three years at this one community at the cupola, the cupola. three years at the cupola, but, um, you know, almost 10 years altogether in senior living and senior care. And now I'm just lost. And I don't think I will ever go back. Um, but also what's really frustrating for me is everything we did there for the cupola, all the stuff we put into place, all the stuff that you set up, all of the structures and practices and all of my calendars and events, everything they are going to benefit from for years to come. Yeah. And so they kind of just suck the life out of you and take what they can and then don't give you anything in return. And also, I just want to say, I know it's called uh, Petty Girls Podcast and we are quite petty, um, but this is not a singular experience. Uh, we're going to talk to some other employees and staff and get their perspectives on what it's like working in a luxury senior living industry um, and not being recognized for it. Um, We have such a high staff turnover rate. We were over 100%. Mm -hmm. Before the pandemic, we had over 100% staff turnover rate pre-pandemic. Like, let that sink in. That's crazy. Um, Especially when we're working with people who have dementia, who have um, it, who are very heavily involved with their families and needs. These are, this is a very emotional job. It's a very, um, you have to be a certain kind of person to take this job and to want to work in this industry. So we had, 
100% of our staff who initially wanted to work in this industry within a year changed their mind. Mm-hmm. And that's really sad because they're, it's a, it is a huge loss for the cupola. It's a huge loss for senior living in general. And for most importantly, the residents who love and care about those staff and who want sustainability, who want to see the same people every day, they don't want high turnovers. They want a consistent life, a consistent lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about is how many, um, bed sores, um, were allowed in to our community. Just so our listeners know, if we have any listeners, hello, Zosha, my sister, who is the only listener of the first episode. <laughs> I'm just going to call it right now, <laughs> but maybe we'll get more. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Shout out to Zosha. Shout out to Zosha. You were talking about bed sores. Yes. Okay. So bed sores. Um, in senior living, in assisted living communities, places with an ECC license, which is an extended congregate care license, uh, which, by the way, I am licensed to run an ECC, just to give you some of my quote-unquote qualifications. That was training and qualification that Ashley and I had to pursue independently um, and really, really fight for because, uh, again, like we said, a little while ago, we did not get the training that we needed. But anyway, when you run it, when you have an ECC license, you can have a certain level of care in your community. There are different levels of senior living care. There is, there are rehab facilities that are essentially like your home between a hospital and your um, assisted living. So if you're in a rehab facility, it's because you're not sick enough to be back in the hospital, but you're not healthy enough to be back at the cupola. Um, and the reason they do that is because we don't have a staff-to-patient ratio that would be appropriate for certain levels of care. Um, so everybody's given numbers and levels when they come in. They're given... Um, what's it called? An assessment. They're mm-hmm. assessed by the nursing staff. Um, as to what is an appropriate level of care. Um, but something that happens a lot is the sales team will get really, really involved in that process and push for certain, um, accommodations to be made for their specific resident that they're trying to sell a room to, which leads to inappropriate placements in inappropriate levels and people not getting the care that we need. Uh, I think, Everybody who has worked in senior living, anybody who's worked in independent living knows that not everybody in independent living is independent. And anybody who's lived, who's worked in, lived in assisted living knows that not everybody in assisted living should be there. They should probably be in memory care uh, because everybody wants to believe they're healthier than they really are. Um, but when this happens, when you're putting people in the wrong level of care, uh, when they sneak in um, or, you know, they do a phone assessment or or maybe they get sent back from rehab with a level two bed sore, those sores always get worse. Mm -hmm. They always get worse. They never get better in assisted living. You're never going to see a bed sore heal in assisted living. It's going to get worse until it gets to a level where we send them back to rehab 
and then it'll heal and rehab and they'll get kicked back to us. And it's just this constant back and forth because there is not a staff to resident ratio appropriate for the taking care of bed sores, which by the way, best practice for bed sores is to, um, turn the resident or rearrange them every two hours. Can you imagine doing a two hour turn on what? One resident on one managing 50 others. Yes. While managing 50, that would never happen. It would not even in memory care where we have a higher staff to resident ratio. That would never happen. Also, I would add that to your list of questions for the sales team. If you ever do tour and assisted living, ask them what the staff to resident ratio is and be specific. Ask them how many staff, um, how many uh, certified nursing assistants are there per resident? Um, what's that ratio? What's the ratio of servers to resident? Because the number they're going to give you is the number, is the number of the full staff. They're going to say, oh, there's 98 staff here. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not asking for your full-time roster. I am asking how many staff are here at night? How many people, how many nurses are mm-hmm. here at night? Um, ECC license states that we need to have any, any community with an ECC license has to have somebody with a, at least an LPN, uh, nursing license on staff 24 seven in the building. Um, but there are loopholes to that. So you could, uh, one of the loopholes that the cupola frequently used was the phone in loophole where if, uh, we didn't have somebody in the building who was necessarily on quote unquote ECC care level. We would just do without a night nurse because nobody had quite reached that level of care, even though we are licensed to serve it. Um, so if anything were to happen, the CNAs would just call a nurse at night and they would use an on-call nursing company for that and not really our director of nursing. Although, I don't know, we could ask. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, talk about ratios, ask how many are here for them. But, um, I, when I started working in senior living, I started in a, uh, a government run, um, nursing home and it was a government run nursing home in Utah. It was tiny. It was like 35 beds and, Um, I was, I was a CNA. I got my CNA license when I was 18 and I just started working full time there. Um, and my staff to resident ratio in a government run nursing facility. Okay. So this is going to be the highest level of, I guess, structure and laws in place to protect the residents and to make sure that things go appropriately. So, you know, they did have uh, very strict rules for how it was going to be run. My ratio was 12 residents. Wow. For me. I was expected to care for 12 residents during my night shift. Um... And, and night or morning shift. And they were like my full responsibility. And that was a big job. It was very big. It was definitely, it was full care, um, changing, feeding everything. So there's a lot more in, uh, a lot more to do with that than necessarily, uh, we do for assisted living or memory care. We don't do as much care, but 
that should be noted that in the highest level of regulation, um, at least in Utah in what the year of our Lord, 2007, that was the regulation that there was going to be no more than 12 residents per one CNA. So if you use that as a way to measure and think about these bigger communities that are being built everywhere who, that don't have as many rules in place, um, we were down to, I think the norm for quite some time was one person is passing meds for all three floors of assisted living and two nursing assistants are running care, which is managing showers, managing toileting, making sure people get to breakfast and also doing all the laundry, which I've never thought was fair for the (laughs) nursing staff to have to do laundry. I just don't think that's appropriate, but that's the way it's set up in a lot of communities, which is, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to think about that. We had like, what, like 40 to 50 residents. I don't know. You were in sales. You know, the census better than me. How many rooms do we have in AL? 55. 55. So at any given point, you could have up to 55 residents relying on two caregivers. It's pretty sad. It's really <laughs> sad. And I know ideally they wanted three, um, but that was not the norm. Mm-hmm. Like we always had somebody call out. We were always short-staffed. Uh, and that was even pre-pandemic. Like I said, we had 100% staff turnover. Um, so that's a really scary. <laughs> that's really scary. We had 100% staff turnover because we didn't because people didn't put in the training to keep their staff. They didn't put in the training. They weren't appreciated in ways that staff should feel appreciated, such as. Like, being able to recognize when somebody pulls a double and thanking them for putting in a 16-hour shift and making sure that they're fed multiple times in a 16-hour shift, whereas it's more just like, oh, thanks for picking that up. And it's just like, it's just, it's things like that. And I, I'm trying to think of specifically of things that happened to me and like what made me so angry. It just reminded me though. Can we talk about the food situation as in like staff meals? Yeah. Like, so servers got free food because they worked in food and beverage, but everybody else has to pay. Also servers got paid more than, than CNAs, than CNAs, the nursing assistants, because we work close to service industry and the service industry. So they were, it was more competitive mm-hmm. and uh, essentially leadership was forced to pay uh, servers that much or they wouldn't have servers, but they didn't choose to raise anybody else's pay. The overarching problem in senior living is the lack of quality care for the residents and also lack of um And the reason there's a lack of quality care is not for lack of staff. It's because nobody appreciates the staff. It's because staff are put at the bottom of the list. They are, and it's sad because 
always tried to make things about the staff and how much they appreciate them and all this like mumbo jumbo bullshit but then overall like they didn't do things like they like staff was always the bottom of the list and they didn't appreciate them in the ways that they should be appreciated. They always did like, oh, here's a candy bar. Like nobody cares about a candy nobody, bar. Nobody. I, w- I don't want a candy bar. I want um, a decent wage yeah. and to be listened to, and to be recognized for all of the extra hard work I'm putting in, and not ignored. Not ignored. And I also don't want people taking credit for the shit I did. Yeah. That is something. Yeah. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us for this first episode of A Petty Girl's Guide to Success and Failure in the Workplace. We hope you've enjoyed it. I know it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. As you can tell, we are still working through uh, organizing a lot of our thoughts and working on making those cohesive and being able to tell our story is really um, going to be a healing journey for us and that's the main point of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have a special little segment here coming up, and this is just a short little little bit, but I hope you enjoy. We're going to call this segment The Sins of Our Kitchen. Um, I believe that it is self-explanatory, so I hope you enjoy, and I hope you tune in next week for our next episode. The residents have complained that whenever he makes an omelet, he scrambles it with his hands and then we'll put the toppings like on top. So he'll like make like scrambled eggs and then just put like cheese on top and then like whatever kind of topping. And that's how he makes an omelet. How? Uh, how do you scramble with <laughs> <your> hands? <laughs> like his bare hands? His bare, like doesn't even put gloves on. So like a thought that the residents were like over exaggerating they weren't over exaggerating did she witness it she did the hand scramble the hand scramble (laughs) so people won't order omelets anymore has been complaining about that forever really yeah she said that she watched him shove a piece of cheese into an omelet yeah yeah. Like a cold omelet on the table. Yeah. Like a cold hunk of cheese because someone ordered and he'll cheese just, and he came out and he just yeah. fingered it. Yeah. <laughs> disgusting. That is disgusting. There And then apparently, like, there was one time where, like, they didn't put cheese on the omelet. So he, like, just went into the kitchen, got a piece of cheese, and then just slapped it on top. Like, didn't. Like, that's it. Not cooked. Just slapped that bitch right on there. Cool. Um, and we're defending this. How? Because it's okay. They're Everything's hungry. okay. They're trying. They're doing Cece. their best. They're doing their best. They're understaffed. Yeah, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> You're right. Oh, no. Know, isn't that terrible? Another thing, a pointer for senior living. I actually don't know if other places do this, but it's something to note about. You should ask for a tour of the kitchen. Any proud chef would let you tour the kitchen if they're confident in what they're doing and what they're producing. 
I would think. I don't know. Just remember the food they were, I mean, I know it was a pandemic, but remember the food we were serving during the pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> Chili Mac. Oh. I feel like that was good, wasn't it, though? It was, but I definitely threw up in my shower. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. It was a bad night, so I, I ate it, but it didn't last long. Uh, but the residents did not respond well to Chili no. Mac. Tune in next week for our very first Petty Girls profile. We are going to go through Ash's story and hear about how she started in senior living and how she got to the cupola all the way up until she meets little old me. All right, see you next week. <laughs>